What is going on, everybody? We are on episode 21 of the Cross House podcast. Who who wore 21? Anybody? Any famous? Tony Super? Snell. <laughs> Tony Snell. That's a good one. I don't know if that's the one we want to go with. Sorry, Tony, but he's got the most famous meme of all time where he just like, was it 24 minutes and didn't put anything in the box score? And yeah, the good old Tony like, Snell. He, 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 was, he was just out there running around. Gar uh, Garnett, right? Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, how could I forget? Garnett, let's go with that one. Um, episode 21, shout out to, shout out to KG. Well, cool, man. What, what is going on in the NBA world? Let's start off that with the fun stuff. Let me start with a, uh, a soft subject and, and sorry for doing this to you, but what is going on with the Bucks? Man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like they've been having a decent season, even though their, their record's not yeah. great. Giannis has been great at the free throw line. He's obviously having an MVP caliber season. Chris Middleton's playing decent. Drew Holiday's been out a bunch. Brooke Lopez is out. Dante has been by four to seven, a fantastic season. So like I'm, and Grayson Allen's had a pretty good season. So I'm not, I'm not too worried yet, but them. Them losing that game to the Hawks um, Monday, that was just one of those like, dude, what are you guys doing? Like, can't give up fourth quarter, you know, 10 point leads. So yeah. that's the part that gets, has me nervous. But at the end of the day, like the, the fundamentals of the team are, are decent and we have some key injuries. But I don't know, are you, are you pretty bearish on the on the Bucks this season? Not, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say bearish. I don't think it's their year, but, but like the way, this is probably a good segue uh, too into our next topic, but, um, the way that the East is kind of painting out right now, it's like, I think wherever they fall, you know, they could be as high as a one seed, as low as a seven, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not saying they would do that, but it's, it's a really, we're about halfway through and the difference between the ninth and, and fourth is like a couple games, which is, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. And then even, you know, the top four is even, is even closer than that. I mean, well, the Bucks had five, two games back from being number one. Right. That's right. a, that's a, that's a, that's a good, it's a good win streak away from immediately jumping from five to one. So, so no, I'm not, not counting them out by any means. I think the way that Giannis is playing and if you get some guys back, I mean, I just think it broad and told, I think the Western conference, if I can move over there, it's going to be an absolute, like slug it out between the Suns and the Warriors, you know, if to, to who goes to the finals. I don't, I, I can't foresee both of those teams losing, which I, is not, it's not a hot take. And I think that team will kind of end up holding up the trophy and then I don't, the, the bulls he i feel like any of these teams could just get hot in the playoff that's what's interesting about the east i think is if one of these teams kind of like the bucks last year and maybe the hawks as well if one of these teams just catches fire in the playoff the east i feel like is so wide open yeah yeah i mean it's it's wild i mean the bulls i know it's it's wins and losses but from a pure wins perspective they have 27 wins and the bucks right have 27 wins as well and they're and they're two games behind based on on the losses um it is wild to just like glance at these at these standings and then yeah the west is a whole whole and like looking at the lakers 22 and 22 down there at eighth seed i mean man that's it's so it's wide open i mean i like the charlotte team too 24 and 20 mm -hmm. they, they get some some nice wins here and there philly has some great games too so it's uh it'll be a good and good playoffs this season. It certainly feels like there will be a lot of really great early round matchups. I think so too. 
Yeah, I was looking at Philly there, right? Two and a half games and Bede's playing off. Seth Curry's playing unbelievable. Obviously, being the little brother of, of Steph, kind of get drowned out a little bit, but he's playing really, really efficiently. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Moving on, moving on to some Krauss stuff. So I think one thing that's been really, really awesome to see take shape, and I think we've covered this a, a few different times, so I won't dive too deep into this, but obviously one of our paths to legitimacy that we're really strongly considering and having some strong conversations around is this opportunities that exist overseas and in some international international leagues. And there's this team that's spun up within the Krause house that's really focused on that. Some really talented people. I think just about every single one has actually played professionally overseas at, at one point. So connections with players, former players, ownership groups, GMs, you name it. So they're kind of putting the feelers out, like what leagues are interesting? Is there any leagues that kind of have traction? What are some, what are some teams that possibly are up for sale in, in very good markets and have diehard fan base? So that's be really interesting to explore. And so one of those opportunities is in Canada, which is, which is great. Uh, and I'll right across the border to our allies here, here in the States, uh, in Canada, and some interesting leagues that are going on there. One is, I guess, a little bit more traditional one. Is kind of up and coming, but making a name. What are your thoughts on this whole, not only the the, the landscape, but how we're kind of thinking about this uh, this international exploration team? Yeah, I think that the international angle is certainly a, a really interesting one for us. I mean, you know, just to repeat it is that we we've kind of outlined this three phase approach. The first was about building a talented community. The second was around building credibility and kind of trustworthiness for the MBA. And then the third was putting forth the capital bid to actually buy the majority position in the MBA. So this is in that phase two of saying, hey, can we own and operate international teams as a DAO? It is, you know, what does that look like? How would that work? And, and what are we trying to get done? And what can we prove? Can we, can we actually execute some general management stuff? Can we get the fan engagement that we've been looking for, the legal structure, the, the financial vehicle, all the different things that go into it? So I love but this idea of us exploring with these because I think these leagues are going to be a lot more progressive and open-minded with the types of experimentations that that we could run. And so I think, you know, when you think about Web3 owning a team, it's just an exciting space for us to to dive in and try to figure out what we can do and, and, and what kind of goes well and doesn't go well so that you have a game plan for really having success in the NBA. So that's kind of the the... The kind of the, my my take on it, and really excited about the experimentation space that we have. Yeah, and playing a little bit of devil's advocate for for the audience that we've seen. It's we typically think of, especially here in the states, we typically think of basketball leagues as just kind of operating like the NBA, <laughs> but the NBA is obviously uh, the pinnacle of all basketball leagues, and so I think. The ability to deploy some of these findings and experiment these things kind of rapidly in the other league is, to your point, it's there. And I think the as far as government governance goes, in the in the in applying some of these findings to help the success of the team, not only deliver wins but also to improve the value through leveraging the the community as well. Those are things that we can implement as soon as possible, which is really exciting. Uh, Obviously, it's not the NBA, so you have to focus on other things. If you look around the leagues in the world, sometimes teams fall out midseason, right? They just like leave the league because, you know, there's not enough money. And sometimes the the community isn't quite there because even overseas, NBA has such a pull that they actually are, are more likely to watch an NBA game than go to their local 
city's, you know, professional team that they have there. So there are, there are some drawbacks, right? And so it's kind of, it's kind of that, but it, anything else of like, you know, what are, what kind of interests you most about deploying, I guess, first and foremost, like what are things that interest you that we'd be able to do with some of these international teams? What comes to mind is some experimentations that we could do if in, from, in a hypothetical scenario, we owned one of these franchises. Yeah. But before hopping down that kind of crazy train, I did want to, I watched a YouTube documentary on the name origins of every single NFL team. And it was like, what is kind of like an infographic style thing where it went through, okay, here was the founding of the league. Here's the teams. And then like, here's these teams who were created. And then these teams went away. I mean, it, and like, I think, you know, as this casual fan, you know, that there was a bunch of different teams with different names, different locations, of course, but like, like as a Wisconsin guy, I didn't really know there was a team, I think in Kenosha and Racine and Milwaukee, all at different points in the NFL. And some of those teams existed for not even a full season to your point, like, these leagues really, you know, someone would put up some capital, some guys would get together to play some football, and then someone would break a leg or the owner would, you know, his business would go out of business and they'd be gone. And the NFL had a lot of that for, you know, especially the first few decades of, of running the, the league. And so you have a lot of these international teams that are spinning up new leagues. And so they're, they're kind of going through the same thing that these very, very prominent leagues in the U.S. Uh, went through as well. So it's always just kind of a good reminder of like humble beginnings of some of these leagues and the challenges of just having continuity, stability of a professional sport. But in the the crazy experimentation space, I just think that we'll have some more leniency to be more creative and inject more crypto native type things into our, you know, I don't think we'll probably go as far as like, you know, influencing coaching lineups or something like that mid game. But I think a league that's international is going to be more open-minded to that. Again, I don't think the leagues that we're talking uh, about and the leagues that we're interested in are probably let us go to that depth, but, you know, having a fully decentralized general manager, like, I think that's a, that's an opportunity path for us being creative with the broadcasting rights and the distribution rights. So the things that we can do with live audio and live video that the NBA has sort of bundled collectively as an entire league that we wouldn't be able to, to touch in, in some of those situations. So I think there's some kind of raw experimentation of like, okay, what can the DAO do and manage and control and have responsibility for all the way to like, what like legally slash financially can we do with the asset itself? And so I think those are the two buckets that I think that the experimentation space and the tolerance is really, really high. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like we'll have more leniency, but we don't want to do it all at once, right? Because I think it one of the goals, if we were to pursue this route, would be, I think nothing would turn more heads in the NBA if we could increase the valuation of the franchise by improving fan engagement and winning, like just flat out, right? And so, like you said, if we immediately set up where we're making subs mid-game, we don't know if that's the best way to, to win to win championships and, and increase fan. Might might do some justice on the fan engagement side, but could could hurt us on the uh, on the team development side. So, I think we would have to kind of explore what those things were and do them very from a scientific method approach and make sure we're deploying the right, but, but you're right. I think we would have the opportunity where if we found what that thing is and, and we thought it could really benefit our organization, the, the time to implementation would be way faster than obviously doing this with a small stake in an NBA team. And so, so that part, that part is really exciting. And that's why I think if you, if we attack some of these, I don't want to say attack's probably the wrong word. If we're looking closely at some of these emerging leagues that are that are really gaining a lot of traction and 
they just like the early NFL that, that you mentioned, they're kind of looking for ways to differentiate and kind of, and kind of catapult themselves to a premier league internationally. They'd be more willing to experiment with something like this than an, an established team like the NBA or even in Spain, right? Which is largely regarded as the second best professional professional league in the world. So yeah, I, I completely agree. So it wouldn't just be like, cool, we have a team, you know, let's, let's just throw Let's just throw everything at it. I think it would have to be kind of, we'd have to think about scale. We'd have to think about experimentation and we have to be thoughtful in doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's a lot of reasons to do it in the league, obviously wanting stability and, um, financial success for the league is, is a big, you know, mutually beneficial arrangement. The, the NBA, they don't, you know. Like we, we often say, Hey, we don't think the raising the capital for a majority ownership is going to be particularly difficult. And I think some people look at that and think that's crazy. But when you think about like how pure of a product and how much demand the NBA has and like, it's, that's not the craziest thing. And so these other leagues, they don't have that at all where, you know, the price does very much matter and the stability and the cash that it brings in, you know, helps a ton. So. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of want to move into something that's a little bit more zoomed out, kind of this intersection of just these thoughts I've been having around Web3, we'll say creators, but I, I, I want to say specifically athletes in this instance. Did you see, hope I'm saying this right, is it Irene, Irene Dow and Ella Dow by any chance? No, I didn't. What, what are they about? Yeah, so it's essentially the these like young women on, on Twitter. And I think they're like, well, I think one's a gamer, uh, they're influencers of some kind, I think between gamer and they're like very involved in the crypto community. Well, they launched, I think either NFTs, I'm, I'm, I'm combining the two. I think they had slightly different structures if I'm not mistaken, but they launched NFTs and these social tokens and basically turned themselves into a DAO. And I think one, I think the Ella DAO specifically has right after launch immediately had like a three ETH floor, which is, which is, which is pretty wild to think. And I think they sold out in, I want to say minutes, right. Or sorry, she sold out in, in minutes. And I mean, it, it, like calling a spade a spade, it's just dudes just simping beyond, beyond belief, like on the internet. But I thought what was in it, what I got out of that is like, there's something really interesting about how we think about creators in this web three space. And I think we've typically thought about it as, you know, let's, let me launch my, well, some are just, let me launch my NFT and, and hopefully it works out and hopefully I can generate a revenue. I think some of the more thoughtful launches are around, let me launch this and give some people access. But when you actually think about the formula for it, it's like, okay, I'm going to launch my NFT or a social token, maybe a mix of both because I want access with my fans. I'm like, you're kind of talking about a DAO. But like, instead of like DAOs, we typically think of there's venture DAOs, service DAOs, social DAOs, right? You think of it almost as organizations, but if we, if you subscribe to this rise of the creator economy, which is, which is hard not to, and the creators are becoming the new brands, then it would kind of make sense that some of these, some of these creators and like, uh, again, I want to steer it back into athletes specifically would be their own DAOs. And like, I, I imagine it's not kind of voting of like, Hey, what should I eat for breakfast? But like, if you had this kind of exclusive discord channel with consistent AMAs and involvement and news sharing, and, and like, they were pretty active in the community. I think that could actually be 
it would just be, I, I don't want to say, I can't say whether or not it would be successful. I think it's an interesting experiment to how we look at the future of, of this direct to fan kind of social, this, this social dynamic that is quickly changing because of web three. So anyway, I, I saw those and I was like, this is hilarious, but I'm like, whoa, like I've never thought about creator DAOs before. I've never, like I, that hadn't crossed my mind. Again, I don't know what their plans are for doing that. I, I did not buy any, either of those NFTs, but it would just be interesting to see how they, how they evolve. So what are your thoughts on athlete DAO, like personal athlete DAOs? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a fascinating concept. We're really obviously experimenting with ownership and, and capital and just playing around with a bunch of the different variations of that. But I, I, one of my favorite kind of thinking that's happened over the last few years, especially is we're around this idea of like, like we're in a post fundamentals era, uh, in the stock market, right? I mean, obviously the stock market has some, some performance structure that people are still heavily looking at, but there's some exceptions and, you know, Tesla is a great example of it, of sort of saying like, Hey, part of a purchase of a Tesla stock, this is not stock advice, legal disclaimer there, is like you're you're buying into the idea of, of Elon. Like, you know, you could make an argument that Tesla is a little bit, uh, it's a slice of the Elon. And, and, you know, you're really just supporting this entrepreneur who's working on climate change and kind of going after it. And I think that that decoupling is something that we are experiencing in society. And so, you know, that to me is happening at the kind of a, like the true, you know, traditional finance world. We're seeing that with a lot of retail investors. And then now we're talking about this as it relates to, to DAOs and, and, and individuals and whatnot. So I think that generally speaking, you know, sports athletes, you know, they're, they're just like an Elon, but their, their performance areas in a different area. And so I think if we're seeing a traditional finance, then we're probably going to see it in, in our world as well. It's worth noting, and, and my, my diatribe here is that, that like, we're probably, this is probably all a symptom of a like hyper, like the early days of hyperinflation, potentially part of, you know, going back to crypto broadly and, and its importance and sort of rethinking about like how money, it, what it is and how it works. It is interesting that we are seeing sort of like money chase these ephemeral assets and ownership of this to be involved in it. Uh, it might be also like a symptom of, of how society will move in this kind of, you know, I don't know about post-inflation or post-hyperinflation exactly, but like, I just think we're moving into this new era where like, we need to rethink about what money even is. And I think that this is an area where it's probably a, it's also, it's a symptom of a situation of our, of our traditional fiat system as well as a new ownership structure. And those two are probably going to interact in really strange ways as we figure out what's, what's real. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to something you said about, about Elon Dow. It's funny because let's say for a hypothetical scenario, if you're going back to 2012 or 2013, I think you're right. I think a lot of people buy Tesla because they're betting on Elon by and large. It might be a generalization, but there's a lot of things. There's a there's a environmental impact thing that you could be more bullish on than Elon himself, and just the disruption of the of the automotive industry, right? So there's several factors, but in general, right? It's like you're kind of believing that that he he can do it. I would argue that if there was an Elon Dow and Tesla in 2012, I think Elon Dow it would be inter interesting to see, but I feel like it would be 
just as successful, if not more successful for, for, for that reason. It's like getting a slice of the, of the person and what they do rather than the individual company, because there's so many factors that go into the company and, and like, I don't want to say outside their control, but there's like manufacturing slowdowns and, and, and all that stuff. And basically betting on him to figure out, but still, that's just one of his endeavors among many now, right? Uh, Neuralink, the Bor all the things, the boring company, Hyperloop, there's, there's tons. So yeah, it is kind of interesting to, to see. You're right. It, it, it sounds, I mean, <laughs> I, every time I see something like this, it's just like the, the, the spooky word of bubble just can't, can't escape me. And I think that's what you're, what you're alluding to, but like when the dust settles, right. I think it is kind of an interesting way to connect with your fans. Like we've always served this primitives, these primitives around like these tokens and NFTs and kind of DAOs wrapping those collectively and really giving them superpowers. Why not being able to, uh, to tie that to creators or athletes, musicians, things like that. It, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And I feel like these are the, what we're seeing with, uh, I hope I'm getting these names right. Ella Dow and Irene Dow is like, it, it's, it's that early stage, you know, JPEG on the blockchain. Or, you know what I mean? It's the early stage yeah. of, of seeing what could be. But yeah, jury jury is out. We'll see. There's no way to tell. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the general idea of us, of people trying to DAOify things and, and, you know, and the word DAO for is even, you know, we've talked about this of like, it's it's not particularly accurate even word to try to describe what's, what's happening mm -hmm. is sort of like these digitally native organizations. And like, I think one of the things we taught and tend to think about DAOs as being big groups of people. I mean, DAOs could be small groups of people. You could have a, a DAO potentially of like five people. I know it doesn't really fit the model of like how people think about the value of a DAO. But like when I first heard about rage quitting as a function in an organization, I was like, that's, that's genius. Right. And it's like, oh, that to me, those are the building blocks of what DAO means to me of saying like, Hey, we're just, we're taking digitally native ideas. And we're literally codifying them and building functions around them and tying them back into a cryptocurrency to make sure that those things actually happen. And we have a, a currency in which to, to make those things happen. Like that to me is like they're the power. So, you know, whether it's a person, a collection of people, whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably see more of these. And so kudos to, those, kudos to them for trying the, the wild experiment. And I think for retired athletes, especially, this is a great idea. Probably don't mm -hmm. want to do it while you're trying to still play because there might be some you know, maybe an owner buys some of your token and now you're just like into, into a whole weird area. Obviously you have to sort the legal stuff as well as your kind of relationship with the players union to, to for, perform. But especially recent, like a Peyton Manning Dow. I mean, are you kidding me, dude? Like right now, and if Tom Brady retires after this season, Tom Brady Dow, like, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, dude, I don't, I don't know though. I, yeah, I think that that would be interesting, but <clears throat> I feel like if you got you know, LaMelo Dow right now, right? And given that he's mid-season, he's got other things going on. I think the hype around being possibly connected to his upside is uh, upside at all will give him this, this buffer to be involved, right? True. So like, so yeah. Peyton Manning showing up for an eight, uh, a, a weekly call or a every other day call might, is, is probably equally as interesting as LaMelo coming once a month. Right. You know what I mean? It's just cause like he's, it's, it's, it's being more tied to that. So I think if they set the terms, the Dow, right. It's just like, here's what I'm offering. And things come to mind, like Spencer did with he like fractionalizing his contract. Like you could go as extreme as you want, or you could be like, Hey, right. 
I might pop in, I might not. And that's just the the terms and price discovery. We'll figure out what that token's worth based on, based on your level of access. But like, that's kind of what I mean by the experiment. I, I can imagine it's some spectrum that lands anywhere in between on a per athlete basis. Yeah. I mean, I could see LaMelo as an example, like what color Lamborghini am I going to buy? What shoes am I going to wear tonight? You know, should I start rocking a headband or not? Should I do a new celebration after I'd hit a three? Like, you know, which haircut? I mean, you could, you could literally NBA 2K yourself, player yourself, and then, and then have the DAO make all those determinations. You, of course, could own a bunch of tokens or have a veto power as well, or at least like maybe you bring the options to, to people that fit the, you know, the LaMelo vibe. But like, yeah, it would be a pretty wild experiment. And then, and then the broadcasting and all like all that jazz. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Super cool. Okay. Moving on. So we've talked about applying kind of our, some of like disruption theory thinking and some of our, our findings by talking to a bunch of different organizations across not only different sports, uh, but in some cases leagues. And we've actually got a lot of inbound from people that hit us up saying, Hey, really love Krause house. Love what you're doing. I'm thinking about doing it for my local hockey team or what the, the second, second division in Portugal or Spain, it's a soccer club. Right. And I wanted to run kind of two by you that are kind of, that are kind of interesting that I think are, I don't want to quite say they're, they're ripe, but they're just this new angle that, that I think could work. I mean, it's crazy, but I think they could work. I'll start off on, on one. I know you're, you're the golfer out of us, but what is, what is like a, what is a, a disrupted golf league look like? Yeah. I mean, I like, I think golf's really interesting. So Crosshouse is obviously focused on a specific, you know, it's like a team within a league, right? And the league is a conduit to the talent, right? And so like, you know, we could like someone suggested us like, hey, like, you know, go buy the Harlem Globetrotters or create your own Harlem Globetrotters type team. And it's like, you can go accrue talent and then you can go compete, but like competing within the structure to win the championship is the interesting thing, right? The NBA has, has succeeded in making the league valuable like i i wouldn't want to win you know the city uh of new york's you know rec league championship with our random ass team winning the nba championship is is interesting so they've transcended that golf is fascinating because a lot of the top players are individuals and so like you watch bryson dechambeau phil mickelson tiger woods compete and like it doesn't really matter like yeah the masters probably has escaped you know as in being valuable but like the FedEx, you know, playoff champion in some of these matches, it's like, no, like, like you care about courses and, and there's some acceptance, Ryder Cup's another, you know, fun example, but the players have superseded the league. And so I think any time that the players have an opportunity to supersede the league, the disruption theory opportunity moves from the team to a, a like a new type of league structure, specifically a doubt owning that. So I think golf is is fascinating because you could really created a structure, make the, the players also owners in that thing and really challenge the entire rule structure and really break off from some of, some of the tradition that the PGA thinks it has that I don't think carries a lot of weight for a millennial and, you know, Gen Z type type audience. So I think golf as a league entity, as a DAO is super fascinating. Yeah, I love it. As the non-golfer, right? I've shared, I've shared this, I think I've even maybe on the podcast before, but Ryder Cup, I'm just like glued to. I couldn't watch kind of a normal 
round of golf, just hanging out. I have before, like there's exceptions. Masters, I think is really awesome. You've never seen me shoot 115, so hold, hold, hold your horses. True. Actually. Yeah. Now on second thought. No, but I think, I think Ryder Cup is really interesting. It's, there's a team dynamic. It's got a world cup type component too, where it's like, there's some, there's some nationalism involved. All the spectators are just going absolutely crazy. There's different game types, right? It, which is, which is very different. It's not just your standard match play. I forgot what they do like a, a best ball or some, some sort of variety. That's, that's a little bit different. Yep. And I couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off it. I watched the entire thing start to finish and it was just fantastic. And I'm like, my first thing is like, why isn't there entire at least more tournaments like this, but why aren't there entire leagues like this, right? Have people just going crazy, crazy merch, just talking shit to, to the golfers, a new scoring system, you know, longest drive on the whole gets a point, dude, who cares? Sure. If you yeah. do, if you do, if you do a, uh, if you score a hole in one, the game's just done, right? Like that's mm -hmm. like, that's like the, the pinnacle and just adding that variety, I think is actually really interesting. I yeah, think I, that's a we, fun idea with the different scoring. Well, so I was thinking like, we all have seen this where it's like people picking up golf majority, you know, maybe twenties, maybe thirties, typically in your forties. Some people don't start till they retire. I was like, is this a way to kind of get your your, your, your college and early twenties folks into golf through something like this with a radically different idea, kind of like what UFC did with, or sorry. Yeah. With the UFC did and MMA did with, with boxing, right. It's just like, it's just this kind of radically different approach. And they saw an opportunity with, with boxing lacking the star power that it wanted. They just saw an opportunity and it just, it looks wildly different, right? It's an octagon, it's MMA versus boxing. And they just saw that opportunity and like, could you, could you apply that same thing to golf? I think so. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I think it'll be, it's, it's going to be challenging given the paydays that the golfers make, like they make a shit ton of money. Right. And so the, the kind of step into it is like, how do you arbitrage the, the less talented? And like, there's some format structure stuff that you could do that could maybe, but yeah, like that, like that's the biggest challenge to to kind of to bridge the gap but i think some of the like the the, the structure the format the scoring like th those are ways you know i'm a i'm a big personal believer like the wmba product i think could really benefit from some significant rule changes and I, I don't mean to diminish their their talent as basketball players but i think like the raw ratings speak for themselves and I think that there's some ways that they could change the game and impress it to make it a little bit more, you know, I'm thinking arena football style, but applied to basketball. Like I think for leagues that struggle to get the ratings that compete against like the traditional things, that's, that's, that's typically a model that, that can work. So yeah, I, you mentioned fighting as well. I mean, I think MMA box, boxing is like this really fascinating one. MMA is obviously, so obviously there's a bunch of stuff going on with the, the way that UFC treats their fighters and pays them which is like a whole financial structure as well. But I think you, you roll in boxing in there as well. For what it's worth, I mean, just speaking out loud, like I don't even know why there has to be a distinction between boxing league and an MMA league. I mean, you could have it all under one fighting league and those could be different you know, divisions. And you see people like Connor going from MMA to boxing, like maybe you start to make that more of a thing. But the interesting thing in those worlds is like those are completely, UFC is obviously like a centralized organization that has done well to bring forth all the, the kind of interest in the MMA sport. Boxing, on the other hand, is sort of super fragmented. You know, there's about four major belts out there. Fighters mm -hmm. don't have to fight whoever they, they do. They can fight really whoever they want. And so you see the Floyd Mayweather's and Manny Pacquiao's avoiding each other through their primes. And like 
and then yet massive, massive paydays for the top. And so, you know, boxing MMA area strikes me as another sort of space that from a disruption theory, like could really benefit from, from a new model uh, coming out and, and bringing fans to become the owners themselves. And then with the fighters. So it's, you know, there's a, it's the fans and the fighters, so that's the ownership group and you make something happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. For any listeners out there, if you have an idea for, because not even necessarily a league, but if you're exploring options for buying something in the sports realm, running it and operating it and even fundraising as a DAO, our DMs are open, hit us up. We would love to talk uh, and explore what, what some of those things might look like, but uh, cool with that. It's, it's a wrap. Commodore, thank you till until next week. Wag that. Bucks baby. versus Grizz tonight. Who do you think? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm focused on my Auburn Tigers, to be honest. They're number two in the nation uh, right now. They got uh, robbed. They played Georgia tonight, so I will uh, not be watching that. Um This is an NBA podcast. Sorry, Flex. dude. I'm sorry. Okay. If I had to pick Grizzlies, sorry, man. <laughs> dude, you just did that as fight now. Yeah, right, I did. Dude. Of course. Of course. <laughs> See ya. See ya.